I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. In the last episode, I was joined by Dr. Megan Painter and we talked about how to figure out what types of causes there are to your animal's ear infections. And that includes primary, secondary, perpetuating, and predisposing causes. So if you haven't had a chance to, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode so that you can have a better understanding of the PSPP classification system and why we use this when we're trying to figure out how an animal develops ear infections. Dr. Painter is a board-certified veterinary dermatologist in Angel in Boston, Massachusetts, and she is also the founder of an online course for family veterinarians called The Allergic Dog, where they can get more information about how to treat these frustrating allergic skin and ear diseases with eight hours of race-approved CE. Definitely would encourage anyone to check that out if they are interested in having more resources. So I'm excited to have back Dr. Painter, who's going to talk more about what veterinarians might do in the diagnosis and treatment of ear infections. Welcome back, Dr. Painter. So glad to be back, Dr. Lancelotti. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a very fun and comprehensive episode for our listeners, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is really important, not just for pet owners, but for other veterinarians who might be listening to help them come up with a systematic way to organize their thoughts when they're treating animals with chronic ear infections. So Dr. Painter, can you quickly review for our listeners what the PSPP classification system is? Sure. When we think of ear disease, we want to make sure that we're keeping in mind that there are four main categories of why ear disease could occur in a dog. The first of which is the primary cause. So this is the why. Why is this happening to my dog? This usually is something like your dog has allergies or your dog has a foxtail in the ear or your dog has some type of you know, metabolic disorder that can affect the skin of the ear. So that's the why. That is the cause of the ear infection or the ear inflammation. Secondary causes all resolve around the type of infection that's present. So do you have bacterial infection, yeast infection, or both? What type of infection, if any, is occurring in your dog's ears? That's a secondary cause of otitis externa. Perpetuating causes are situations within the ear itself that promote infection and inflammation. So these can be changes like calcification of the ear canal, hyperplasia of the glands within the canal. We can have middle ear infection and involvement and many other things that basically work to make our job harder to resolve 
yourself that infection, even if we understand what the primary cause is and we have the secondary under control, the perpetuating causes are what make our battle an uphill one. And then Mm -hmm. predisposing causes of otitis externa are those risk factors. So is your dog an avid swimmer and loves to go in the water all the time? Well, that's not your primary cause of ear disease. That's a risk factor. So not every dog who swims gets ear infections, but certainly allergic dogs who swim might now have an added risk factor for developing otitis externa. So we also can see examples here of different types of anatomy of the head and the ear that can predispose a dog to developing ear infections. So again, this PSPP system is very useful at providing a systematic organization for us all veterinarians and pet owners alike to think about ear disease in dogs so that we have some framework so that we can work within that to then try to make your dog more comfortable. This is so beautifully laid out. And you talked last episode about one of your very special cases, and that was Diego. Do you think we could use Diego as an example for how to look at each one of these factors in our PSPP classification system and determine what factor is going on for that individual pet? Absolutely. Diego represents basically every problem that ever existed in the ear, except maybe (laughs) luckily a foreign body and he did not have any sort of cancer in his ear, thank goodness. But Diego had severe ear disease. And I was very concerned that if we could not fix his ear medically, he would end up needing surgery. And that's something that both the owners and I really wanted to avoid because we wanted him to be comfortable, but we didn't want him to have to go through surgery to make him comfortable. And so where did I start? Well, I started by looking at his ear. And, you know, that might sound funny, but really I wanted to know what does this ear look like? A fancy term for this is otoscopy. This usually involves something we're all familiar with when we go to our doctor where they actually look, you know, using that handheld device with a little light and they look to see what the canal looks like and try to visualize if, in fact, there's an eardrum and if that eardrum is intact and if there are any changes that you can see to the eardrum itself. In Diego's case, I actually couldn't even look into the canal because it was so swollen. So simple otoscopy was not an option for him, and it was just a visual examination of his ear and his pinna, both of which were severely inflamed, very red, and there was a lot of pus and waxy discharge in his ear. I could never tell you why his ears look like this. You don't look at the ear and say, oh, it's red, therefore it must be allergy. What you have Mm -hmm. to do now is go through a systematic rule out system to really determine that primary cause. And so in his case, what we decided to do was say, okay, well, what are the primary causes? What is your dog's age? How long has this been going on for? Get a very thorough history. You really want to understand Is this something that came out of nowhere? Is this a problem that's been going on for eight years? Is this a 12-year-old dog that all of a sudden developed infection in their ear? Or is this a young dog that's had infection since they were eight months of age? That really will help your veterinarian get steered in the right direction so that they can identify a primary cause of your dog's ear infections. So in Diego's case, he was relatively young. He had been affected with his ear disease since he was a young dog. But the history for him was actually quite limited. 
limited because he had recently been surrendered by another owner and adopted by the new owners that I was seeing. So we established that the most likely cause for him was probably some type of allergy. And because we didn't have a sense of seasonality for him, we really wanted to determine what percentage of his problem was from food. And so he was started on a hydrolyzed diagnostic diet trial right away. And we took this very seriously because we wanted to be sure that if this was a food allergy, that we identified that right away for him because his life would obviously be so much better as his years were absolutely miserable for him. And it's silly to miss that diagnosis. You know, if it's something as simple as changing his food, gosh, we could get so lucky. And so that was his first step at identifying what the primary cause was. Now, we couldn't do anything to look and see, did you have a tumor in the ear? At this point in our first visit, we weren't going to do advanced imaging. We were going to try to just use the tools that we had available to us in terms of medical management to make the ear more comfortable and identify common primary causes of ear disease. But of course, there were other differentials that we always kept in the back of our mind in terms of why a dog might get ear disease. But looking at that food allergy was really our priority. Yeah, I think that goes a long way towards investigation of underlying allergic ear infections is doing that diet trial. And if you've listened to some of the previous episodes on food allergies, episode two, or diet trials that Dr. Painter and I did, episode 17, you'll remember that there's no blood test or saliva test or hair test or skin test that we can do to figure out if an animal has a food allergy. You really have to go through and do an elimination diet trial under the supervision of your veterinarian to be able to truly say whether or not an animal has uh, a food allergy that's contributing to these ongoing ear infections. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes to get more information but you're right. The history is so important with these animals because it helps us to figure out where do we want to focus our time and energy and resources when we're trying to investigate what is the primary cause of the disease. You, know, you mentioned the older animals that don't have a history of having ear or skin infections when they were younger. There may be more of a concern for some type of hormonal disease, things like Cushing's disease or hypothyroidism. So rather than than starting right away focusing on allergies, just doing some basic blood work to see if there's anything else going on may be something that your veterinarian recommends as they get older. It's important to remember that your primary care veterinarian is probably going to be the most equipped I work in a specialty referral practice where we have an urgent care and emergency room and a lot of dogs come through with ear infections. And the hard part there is that your emergency veterinarian is not going to be able to get a thorough history as well as someone like your primary or family veterinarian would be able to. And so a lot of times getting some relief through an urgent care setting is absolutely appropriate if you're concerned for your dog, but you really want to follow up back with primary care or a specialist uh, like a veterinary dermatologist to say, okay, I went to the ER last week because I was really worried about my dog. I just want to talk about what's causing these infections so that they don't happen again and I don't end up in that scenario. Because again, the history is really one of the most essential parts of helping your dog get through this and not have to go through this again. 
Yeah, I love that. This is such a frustrating disease and and chronic and long term. It really does require a good relationship between the pet owner and the veterinarian. So an urgent care setting is certainly someplace where an animal can get relief. But for ongoing care, it's really important to have that well-established relationship with somebody that you can trust to come up with a long-term solution. So Dr. Painter, you talked a little bit about looking at the ear. What's the next thing that a veterinarian might do? Most of the time, veterinarians are going to perform cytology. And cytology is a pretty simple test that most of us can do in our clinic right away. Uh, It involves taking a swab or a collection of cells from your dog's ear and ear canal, usually using a cotton-tipped applicator, which is a fancy term for Q-tip. And you basically take that swab and you roll it onto a slide. And then that slide is stained in-house. And that stain is then used to highlight certain cells on the slide and then you pop that under a microscope and take a look. And this is a very simple, very informative diagnostic test that helps us determine what the secondary problem is. So is this a yeast infection, a bacterial infection, or both? What are we dealing with in terms of the type of infection? And also, is there a lot of inflammation? It helps us see the cells. And you can't see cells unless you have microscope eyes and nobody has microscope eyes. So this is what veterinarians are using to determine the presence and type of infection and inflammation in your dog's ear. And I hear a lot of times that pet owners are reluctant to allow veterinarians to perform cytology when it's usually a a pretty affordable price. It's something that is going to be, you know, priced according to what the clinic has. But most family practices are going to have this be something that should be affordable for most pet owners if you can. It's a great thing to allow your vet to do because it allows veterinarians to say, your dog has a yeast infection, therefore I don't need to put an antibiotic into your dog's ear. So I love performing ear cytology because it just helps me narrow down the problem, get a sense of really how bad the inflammation and infection is. And it's something that I consider to be essential for any dog with an ear infection or otitis externa. I 100% agree. I mean, you cannot stress how invaluable a tool cytology is in order to evaluate what is the infection that's there today, monitor response to treatment, and then make sure that that maintenance plan that you're setting up is actually working long term. And I sat down and talked with Dr. Ashley Bourgeois. Her mantra is cytology everything. And so we did an episode specifically on cytology that's really helpful in understanding understanding this particular diagnostic technique, why it's so important for veterinarians and veterinary dermatologists to do for these animals, not just for ear infections, but for skin infections as well. So if you're interested in learning more about cytology, I would recommend that you just hit that subscribe button to the podcast because that will be coming out in the near future so that you can understand why it's so valuable to us. Tell me a little bit more about the tools that we have available for evaluating infection. Is cytology the only thing that we would use? You know, it's really not, but the majority of cases I rely on cytology. I I would say 90% of the time when I am looking at an ear infection in a dog that I'm not performing an advanced procedure on, I'm using cytology to help me decide which treatment is best, the type of infection, et cetera. Sometimes we'll rely on what's called a culture, and this is a more advanced test where we take a sample of your dog's ear and submit that to a laboratory, which then actually grows your dog's infection in the laboratory. And then the lab exposes 
your dog's specific bacteria to different antibiotics and provides us with a report saying, okay, these are the 15 different antibiotics you can use to treat infection. The downside to this test is that it's not totally reliable for topical treatment. So what this test is helping us understand is if your dog has bacteria, staph pseudintermedius, for example, it is sensitive to or likely will respond to an oral antibiotic. Now, a lot of times we're not using oral antibiotics to treat ear infections because they respond so nicely in most cases to topical treatments. And that tends to be the most reliable, the easiest, the most practical direct approach to treating ear infections. So if we are going to consider reaching for something like an oral systemic antibiotic, a culture might be necessary. But again, it's more of an advanced technique or diagnostic test that we would pursue in cases that have mixed inflammation or infection patterns. If I see, you know, three or four different types of bacteria on my cytology, I might consider a culture. If I have a very refractory or hard to resolve case, I might consider a culture. And if I'm, again, doing advanced procedures like a video otoscopy procedure where we're actually going to look into the middle ear cavity if there's infection there and sampling that, then that certainly warrants systemic treatment. But cultures aren't necessarily something that you're going to just jump to right out the gate, but they do have some value for some of those hard to resolve cases of otitis. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. So culture is something that we will do, but not as one of our first line tests. We definitely want to do our cytology and use our treatments based on what we see under the microscope. But if you're in a position where the culture is something that the animal needs, that's definitely a time where you should be seeing if there's a veterinary dermatologist in your area and reaching out to a specialist for help. You, know, you talked a little bit about some of the advanced diagnostics. So what do you mean when you say advanced diagnostics and treatments? We see, as dermatologists, we see the worst of the worst. When we have moderate to severe ear disease, there are other diagnostic tests and procedures that we can consider. In most of these cases, these are going to be dogs with outstanding perpetuating issues. And so the majority of the time when I'm considering things like diagnostic imaging, so performing a CT scan of the head, this is a great opportunity to visualize the anatomy and to see what I'm missing. Am I missing that there's middle ear infection and inflammation fluid in the bulla? Am I missing that there's some sort of uh, tumor in the ear? What is it that's causing this perpetuating issue to continue to go on? Is there something of a primary cause that I haven't identified with the basic tests that I've already performed? And so CT imaging, and in some cases, MRI can be quite useful when we believe that middle or inner ear disease is suspected. In some cases, too, this could help set us up for performing video video otoscopy so that we know what we're getting into, or more specifically, in some cases, surgeons would request this for potentially having some sort of surgery or surgical resolution to the ear disease. Yeah, that advanced imaging is certainly helpful. CT and MRI can tell us how much swelling there is in the ear. It can tell us if there's fluid or infection in the, the middle ear. It can tell us if the ear has become calcified or there's been bone deposition around the cartilage of the ear. And that allows us to see how much better can we actually get these ears. Because if there is significant bone being laid down in the ear canal, it's going to be 
tough to get that ear comfortable. So that gives us a lot of information as to whether or not we're going to be able to provide this animal with relief. And usually when those advanced diagnostics are done, we typically combine it with a procedure called a video otoscopy. Instead of using that handheld otoscope where we look into the ear canal, we use a specialized video otoscope that magnifies the ear canal while the animal is under anesthesia. So we can really perform a deep cleaning so that we can physically remove a lot of the gunk that's building up in these ears with chronic disease. So if you're interested in learning more about video otoscopy and these advanced procedures, we'll have an episode coming up that dives deep into those particular tools as well. You know, one um, thing I'd mention too, yeah. just real quick on that end is we're kind of talking here like your dog has ear disease and it's both ears when it's one-sided, you know, what about that? In those cases, I really am very careful to make sure that I have an accurate diagnosis. I want to rule out that your dog doesn't have a tumor, a foreign body, something that's different. I don't want to just say, oh, yep, ear infection must be an allergy and just move forward because it's an ear Mm -hmm. infection. So advanced imaging and video otoscopy in those cases is usually recommended sooner for a dog with just one side that's affected than when a dog has both sides that are equally affected or when it kind of bounces back and forth. You know, some people will say the left ear, then the right ear, then the left ear, and it just is both ears, but not always at the same time. But if it's always the right side, gosh, I really want to know what's going on in that right side. And so these are some additional tests that might be done to actually figure that out. Yeah. And that gives us the opportunity to provide relief too. I mean, if it's a foxtail or some right, type get of- it out. Yeah. Growth. Yeah. We can use our video otoscopy to remove the foxtail, remove the mass that's in that ear. So a really helpful tool, not just for more information, but for treatment options as well. Exactly. And then, you know, you talked a lot about the perpetuating factors on the last episode. And, and these are the things that are our chronic changes to the ear canal that make it really tough for us to get things under control. And that's things like swelling of the ear canal or those earwax producing glands that are just working overtime, trying to pump out more and more and more ear earwax in response to a secondary infection. Tell me a little bit about some of the treatment options that a veterinarian might consider in those animals that have a lot of these significant chronic perpetuating changes. Okay, I think that can be broken down into something that you're giving systemically. So an example would be a medication like a steroid or a drug like Apoquel or Atopica. Some of the drugs that we have that help us reduce inflammation that drives some of these uh, perpetuating factors helps address the primary cause and reduces the symptoms that result of the primary cause. So systemic medication would be one bucket of a treatment type, and then topicals would be another. And topicals refers to both ear washes and also ear drops. And when it comes to ear washes and ear drops, there's no like book that you can look in to find like Fluffy's perfect eardrop solution. It's very (laughs) individualized. And that can make it really difficult, you know, because there's like 600 different drops that are out there. There's a lot of options that are available commercially. Some veterinarians will compound medications, which means make medications in-house to treat a specific type of bacteria with a specific antibiotic that they mix up just for your dog in the clinic. So there's lots of different treatments that are available topically. But the goal for all of them is 
to typically address the type of infection. So that would be an antifungal medication or an antibiotic medication, or sometimes both. The inflammation is also addressed by using a topical steroid. And those can be very effective. Those eardrop topical solutions are very effective at treating inflammation and infection at the same time and help bring a lot of comfort to your dog. And in terms of like how long they're used for, gosh, it's going to really depend on your dog and what your veterinarian recommends. So follow their advice because they're the ones who have looked at your dog and understand the type of infection that's present and how severe that infection is, how long it's likely going to take to get better with those topical medications. But again, that's your real cornerstone to treatment for ear disease is going to be some sort of topical antibiotic with a steroid. In most cases, that's utilized. And then, you know, we think about these washes uh, helping to remove the debris that's in the ear. One of the perpetuating issues that we see, which I think is really interesting, is the fact that the ear can actually lose its ability to move earwax and debris out. Someone actually did a study where they looked at the progression of cells out of the ear. So they stained skin cells and they watched them move. And in dogs with chronic ear disease, they're not going to move. They're just going to sit there. And you can imagine how much gunk you can have in your ear that just never goes away. And if you're not helping the dog remove that by doing a gentle cleaning, then it's really just going to become one of those perpetuating factors that never gets better. So a lot of times we're using gentle wash or ear cleaning solutions to help address the buildup of debris and wax in the ear that's just, again, going to kind of sit there and promote infection and just be a vicious cycle for your dog. And there's lots of different types types of washes that are available and they all kind of have their own proprietary blend of what they have in them. But the basic guideline is to use that wash to help rid the ear canal of debris and also to support the health of the ear canal itself so that you're putting something in there that's very restorative for the ear that's going to help the ear get better. And so those are your two kind of topical style treatments. Systemic treatments are a whole other bag of worms. And that's something that we've talked a lot about in this podcast. And there's so many different options, but it's really important that, again, the primary cause of the ear infection is identified before treatment can really be used um, systemically. So if your dog has hypothyroidism and that's the cause of their ear disease, well, something you know like Apoquel might not actually help them because that's not addressing the primary cause because that's a drug for dogs with allergies. So it's something that you really, again, want to be sure that the diagnosis for your dog's ear disease is as accurate as possible so that you can get the right systemic treatment if that's something that's needed. I want to go back to Diego one more time. You started him on a diet trial. You used some steroids to open up his ear canal. And for those people who are interested, there's a great episode on steroids that I did with Dr. Curtis Plowgen. I believe it's episode number six in the series. So if you want to hear more about how we use steroids, he goes into great detail. He's a really good storyteller. Um, so diet trial, steroids for Diego. And then what happened from there? Oh, Diego. So he had a recheck about four weeks in and was already 60 or 70% improved. He was wildly more comfortable and doing so much better. And again, this was only because the steroids were on board, plus or minus the food. So I do think that he clearly has a food allergy component to his symptoms. And basically, he transitioned over to a drug called cyclosporin, which is atopica. And he's been managed on that. He then started to show 
some seasonal signs of flaring. And so we allergy tested him and he's on sublingual immunotherapy, food, cyclosporin, and a very, very low dose of steroids at this moment in time because he recently had a small ear flare up. But overall, he does quite well with his cyclosporin diet and sublingual immunotherapy. And by quite well, I mean like living the life, right? So this isn't a dog who's just still suffering with ear disease and they're super inflamed. Like you look at his ears and they're pretty much normal. So we were able to transform a severely hyperplastic, painful ear down into an ear that's very comfortable, something that the owners can touch. He loves to be, you know, handled and pet and hugged and all the things that he never wanted to be before because his ears are more comfortable. And that's all because we identified the primary cause for his ear disease, which is a mixed allergy of both food and environmental triggers. And also because we got a medical management plan on board for him that worked to reduce the inflammation. The perpetuating issues for him, he's always going to have some chronic change to his ear. He does have some calcification to the external ear canal, but we're doing the best that we basically can with the medical management that we have on board. So the biggest thing is that he comes in now to his visits and he can actually be touched before he would panic. Um, and he was just a different dog than he is now. So if you're a dog with severe ear infection, it's hard to say we're going to cure you and bring you back to normal. Our, our goal is really to help this dog and other dogs achieve an excellent quality of life to the best of our ability with the options we have available to us. And so I believe we did that, but it's always a work in progress for some of the more severe cases. Um, but yeah, he's a great dog. The owners are really just the best and they're so committed to him and to his brother and all that they've done for him. It just brings me so much joy to be part of their family as their veterinarian. I guess I just included myself in their family, but hey, you know, I've seen them enough. It feels like it, right? Um, but it is something where, you know, you all just get to know each other so well. And every time he flares up or if there's ever any sort of setback, you know, we really just get right on that. And that's important not to get frustrated by that, just to recognize that it will and can happen. Um, so yeah, he's an awesome, awesome dog. And I'm really glad that we uh, cross paths in this lifetime. And did I hear you correctly when you said that his ear is looking pretty much normal at this point? Oh, yeah. We have before and after pictures, which we can share. The ears were so severe, and now you would look at them and just see them as a normal ear. So, yeah, they look and feel as normal as they can be. The inflammation is significantly reduced. And if I had to put my finger on what did that, it, probably the steroids and the food. It happened, you know, in August, which is really... Uh, prime time for a lot of dogs with environmental allergens, especially weeds that'll contribute to their flares. So it all seemed to be consistent with an environmental flare-up. But yeah, this dog looks fantastic. Yeah, these before pictures that you have on your handout here about otitis externa. Oh, they're horrifying. This before picture yeah. is so <laughs> horrifying. Yeah. I mean, this poor dog must have been absolutely miserable. So if you would like to check out pictures of Diego and other dogs with ear disease and all the different types of infections that there might be and some pictures as far as the different treatments that we do and diagnostics, there's some great resources on the Your Vet Wants You to Know website so that you can take a look at that and 
kind of follow along with what we've been talking about today and get a better idea of just how bad some of these ears are and how beautifully they can respond. So for those of you listening, if you have a pet that has ear infections, I would encourage you to work with your family veterinarian, really have that open line of communication so that you can figure out together what's going on with your animal as far as this PSPP classification system. There is also a link to find a veterinary dermatologist near you under the resources tab of the Your Vet Wants You to Know website. So you can check that out and find someone to work with. And then if you have a pet that has had ear infections and you want to commiserate with other people in the community, you can join our Facebook group, Your Vet Wants You to Know, or follow us on Instagram. For those family veterinarians who are listening and other veterinary professionals, I would encourage you to check out Dr. Painter's online course, The Allergic Dog, where you can get eight hours of race-approved CE about how to treat allergic skin and ear disease and get a better understanding of how to provide relief for these animals and improve their quality of life. Dr. Painter, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was truly my pleasure to be here. And don't get overwhelmed. You know, I know this information, it's a lot. As doctors, we kind of think in these systems and all of this. And just remember that your veterinarian is here for you. Your dermatologist is here for you. We're all here to help your pet feel better. And if you need help, certainly reach out. There are so many different types of resources for you um, to help address whatever problem that you're facing with your dog or with your cat. And thank you so much for having me on as a guest today, Dr. Lancelotti. You are doing so much for pets and pet owners out there, and I can't thank you enough. Uh, Dr. Painter, it is a pleasure to have you on. I am happy to have you back anytime you would like. You are a wealth of knowledge and a really amazing science communicator. I'm so pleased to have you as a colleague and a friend. Thank you. And for everyone out there listening, I look forward to your next visit with Your Vet Wants You to Know.